Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. If you'd like to turn with me to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think I'm going to try this because Jerry did this a lot and it looked cool. I like preaching down here too. It makes it really easy for the uh, AV guy to figure out the room <laughs> standing in front of the speakers. Um, happy Mother's Day. Wow, this is really, I need to be turned down a bit. Um, thank you, Dan those songs. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I need to preach a sermon after all that. It's uh, right in line with what we're going to be talking about today, so much of that. And uh, yeah, that was just that was really good for preparing our hearts. Um, Mother's Day is a cool day uh, because we, um, we acknowledge and we honor our, our mothers, as, as Steve was saying. Um, and I think the neat thing that I like about it, too, um, is the fact that, uh, you know, when we come to church, we don't come um, necessarily to come and obviously worship our mothers. Um, that's not what honoring is. But we come to worship God. But the incredible thing that we get to do is we get to worship God by honoring what we see um, of his character that he has put in our mothers. And uh, every one of us has a mother obviously. Um, some of you um, had very good relationships or have very good relationships. Some of you don't. I realize that too. But um, God has placed attributes in the woman that he hasn't placed in us men. And um, we see a whole other side of his character come through in his design for, um, for our mothers. And so we praise God um, for who he is as he's expressed through our mothers. And I honor my mother today um, and all that she's um, done for us, raising us, but also um, even now. And I honor my wife as, um, as mother of our children and uh, the godly woman she is. But 
Today, um, we're going to be carrying through, um, picking up in Ephesians chapter 2. And um, if you've been here for the last few months, we've been in Ephesians, and we've been... as well. application, but the front half really lays the groundwork from which um, we can build off of that, and that is this knowing Christ, and even specifically knowing who we are in Christ. And so that's what Jerry has been taking us through. And um, here, as you guys know at Oak Grove, we tag team a lot of our teaching, and we, we share it, and and I'm one of them. Um, but one of the goals that we all have as teachers is to try to pick up what God is teaching Oak Grove. And um, to the other teachers in the room, I say the same thing. That is our duty. That's our task. Um, that we have to try to see what is God teaching Oak Grove and pick up on it. But I also encourage sometimes for us to get caught up in looking at um, different people's speaking styles and um, different things, and I would I encourage you to look beyond that and look and see what is God teaching. And I hope that you can see beyond uh, me or Jerry or Steve or, or Glenn or any of us and really just see um, who our head, Christ, uh, is and what he's leading us towards as we do this. So as we dive into chapter 2 of Ephesians today and we carry on the theme that ultimately Paul started when he wrote this book uh, a couple thousand years ago, um, let's just go to the Lord in prayer, and let's see what he would like to teach us today. Our Father, we, uh, we come before you humbly and with thanksgiving, God, for just the grace that's been poured out on us. And uh, Lord, I know we'll be singing your praise for eternity, and oh, just, uh, just how great that will be. I pray you, you would just open our hearts. Um, Speak through um, me today. I pray that you just um, open um, all of our ears to hear what your word says and just remind us of the incredible, costly grace that we've been given as we look at the cross and the power that was demonstrated there. We love you, God, and thank you that we can be part of your family, that we can be um, even talking to you now because we are in Christ. And so we thank you for him. In your name we pray. Amen. It's told that when Ronald Reagan was a child, and I don't know how old, I couldn't find that out, but um, he was riding along in his car with his mother on an afternoon drive. Some of you know the story. After staring out the window and seeing passing signs and stuff for a while, he decided to reach down and grab his mother's glasses off the seat and put them on, at which point he cried out and then, <gasps> and startled his mother. He had no idea up till that moment, neither did his mother, that he was extremely nearsighted. And he had no idea that you could actually see those signs and that the world was not a blur going by. 
it was a shock for him as a young boy. And I know this has been the case with um, many who have, um, you know, it, as, a, as a child, if you have no reference point, you have nothing to compare to, you just assume everyone sees the world like you see until you put those glasses on and you realize, wow, <laughs> the world is a whole lot more than I actually realized it was. Some of you may have never put on glasses and you still may have a cry of amazement when you do that. But I think for the most part, uh, with most of us today, we, we figure out pretty earlier on if uh, we need glasses. That story I actually heard when I was in elementary school and for some reason it stuck with me all these years. I thought it was Teddy Roosevelt all these years and so this, this last week I had to look it up and see and it's actually Ronald Reagan. But um, it, was a, it was a fascinating thing but it, it reminded me and I wanted to look it up and share it with you guys because the aspect of uh, the glasses we wear um, sometimes it, without those we don't realize if you don't have anything else to compare to you have no idea what you're missing out on. Um, up to date Jerry has titled this series that he's been going through in chapter one God's presence changes everything and this is to emphasize the fact that as we come into a relationship with God we become united with him it really truly changes everything it's like putting on glasses in fact, it's probably closer to this story of the man born blind who Jesus first gave sight to in his, I think, 40s it was, if I remember right. Imagine what that was like to be able to see for the first time, having never experienced a world of color or sight or vision or anything um, visually. When we really come to the point where we understand what it means to dwell with God continually, to be in Christ and to be in continual fellowship with him, it changes everything. It's a new set of glasses that we put on. It's, it's a new view that after you've seen it, you can't go back. For the, um, and Jerry's been talking about that with this, this idea of you know, walking with God, and as we get a vision for him, it changes um, how we see everything around us. For the... For the next three weeks, the direction we're going to be going is um, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to try to get through the whole chapter, kind of speed up where we're going here. Um, but we're going to, how I've split it into, um, as far as categories, is we're going to look at three topics. One, which is this week, who we are, or sorry, this week is who we were. Uh, next week is who we are in Christ. And three, who we are being made to be. And we're going to look at these three themes as we look at Ephesians. In all this, though, as much as that sounds like it's going to be an emphasis on us, who we were, who we are, who we're being made to be, we want to do something that we've been also trying to do here, and that's to focus our eyes on Christ for each of those three things. So when we look you know, forward to what we're being made to be, we look at Christ and we see um, who he is and um, what his position is. When we look at who we are, we're going to look at who is Christ now and if I am in Christ, what's that mean? And then today we're going to look backwards. And in a way that we're going to look and we'll explain, we're going to see who we were even as we look at Christ. But in all of it, the glory goes back to him. And that's why I've titled this series, It's All About Him. And this, it's because everything about our salvation, everything that we come to experience, it's not about us. It's about Christ. It's about his glory. And, I, and um, Jerry kind of set the stage with that. The last two weeks, he was talking about um, creation and how all of creation glorifies God. And that is because he kind of saw this theme that we're coming into in chapter two. 
and how it's going to be all about Christ and all about giving the glory to the Father. And so um, that's why that emphasis was there. But um, Hebrews 12.2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so that's what I hope we can do. Now, a couple weeks back, before we get into chapter two, I might kind of go back a little bit into chapter one, but I don't want to spend too much time. A few weeks back uh, on Resurrection Sunday, we kind of, um, uh, I went through the, the last verses 15 through 23, and we focused on those. So go ahead and open your Bibles. Um, we'll get into Ephesians here. Um, in chapter one, verses 15 to 23, I ended up titling, um, as I looked at Paul's theme and emphasis in that section, um, what I really felt that he was saying was, do you get it? Do you really get it? And if you remember and you're here, that's what we talked about. Uh, But really, the reason I say that is because he goes through in verses 3 through 14, he talks about all this that we get because you're in Christ and now you have all these blessings, you have all these things. And, And he goes and just elaborates on them. And then in verses 15, heard about your faith, I heard about your love, and, and because of that, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you really understand the depths of what's going on. In case you can't see it yet, this is really big. And I think the same question is posed to us, and I, I bring it up this morning, and that is, do we get it? Do we fully understand what's going on? Uh, that's, a, that's a great question. But um, as we look, and, we, and I look, especially at Oak Grove, and I see the faith and love that, that is demonstrated here, it's the same question, I think, posed towards us. Do we really get it? And let's go deeper to find out. Paul, after he asks those questions, essentially, and he says, um, you know, like, I'm praying that you understand this immeasurable greatness. I'm praying that you understand where you are in Christ, seated with him, and all this stuff. He now goes in chapter 2 into depth on that. So that's what we're going to be doing in chapter 2. But in this, and what I hope we can do today, is um, to recapture some of uh, just the wonder of the cross and, and, and what it really is. Um, as I said uh, at the beginning, the songs that Dan picked were very good for that because we see so much um, just the power of the cross. Um, but... I don't know if you guys are like me. The longer that I am, um, I'm in the faith and I, I've, I've been raised knowing this, um, if I'm honest, after a while, the, the whole gospel story can lose its wonder. It becomes kind of old hat. Like, I can repeat it with my eyes closed. I know it. You know, and yeah, Jesus died on the cross for me. He died for you too. And, and we have these phrases that we just repeat and repeat, and the songs become familiar, and we know them. Um, we sing them, and we love the melodies But um, after a while, if we're not careful, we can lose the wonder of the cross. And as I've prepared for this this series, that's been what I've been praying over and over. It's just that God would recapture my heart with the wonder of the cross and how great a deal it really is. I mean, if Paul is writing to mature believers here and saying, okay, I know you got great faith and love, but you really need to take a fresh look at this because it's bigger than you thought. That's what I feel the Lord's been speaking personally to me and and what I want to carry along. So I encourage us all, um, myself included, to renew our minds towards the wonder of the cross. In the the world that we live in today, um, death has become the norm. 
It's just commonplace. And to be fair, there hasn't really been, save one, anyone that's escaped death. Um, death is, by all practical purposes, it should be the norm. Everyone dies. Um, but more than that, I think what we've seen more in our culture, especially I see it in um, children's uh, books or cartoons or even just kind of psychology is trying to, when, when children are afraid of death or skeletons or um, scary death-related things, there's this, this push to, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal, you know, and they're trying to minimize it. And I think the reason they try to minimize it is because they're trying to uh, remove that fear of death because they say it's just natural, it's just normal. And that's this desensitizing that's been going on for a while. But of course, we also know that all around us, there is living death, sin. And we all become desensitized to that to some degree or another because the more and more the world tries to push that as the norm, they try to push that, uh, you know, everyone sins. And even in the church, we hear so much talk that says, well, everyone sins, that when, when someone even stands up and, and tries to preach about holiness, you get a bunch of people go, hold on, hold on, hold on. Well, we're not perfect and bumper stickers come out, and things like that. And so this becomes just a normal way of, of living and dealing that we've become accustomed with. And, um, and we have to look fresh at the Word of God to see the picture that it gives. Ephesians gives us quite a different picture. And if you look, starting in chapter 2, we see um, the explanation of what um, Paul, as he goes back in time with the Ephesians and says, what you were how he explains it. So chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead. That doesn't sound like commonplace, doesn't sound like, yeah, it's all good. This is a big deal. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in the, in, at work in the sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived, the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There's some hefty phrases in there, and we're going to come back to them in a second, but turn over to chapter 4, because uh, later in this book, Paul does the same thing. He goes back in time with them as he makes his next point, which whoever preaches on chapter 4 will get to look at this again, but it's, it's relevant to us today, so we'll kind of fast forward a little bit to chapter 4, verse 18. Because again, he's talking about the unsaved and what, um, what they are and what we were before Christ. He says they, speaking of them, uh, he says Gentiles, not Gentiles in the flesh. He's talking about those outside um, salvation, the unsaved world. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Hardness of heart, callous, that sounds very much like the world that we live in, like what we were just saying. This is preached to be the norm. It's preached to be so commonplace that we almost accept it as Christians. And, and it really, we have, to, we have to look fresh at what this means because if we're not careful, that becomes the blurry world. We become so accustomed to thinking this is the norm. I, I think everyone sees the signs as being blurry. I don't know if there really is anything different. And we have to come by faith to have those glasses put on to see what the world really looks like. If you go back over to chapter 2 and you break down the things that 
um, our description of our past life, they're pretty bleak things. Following the prince of the power of the world. That's Satan. He, he doesn't um, speak into the minds of every unbeliever that's out there. He's not whispering and making them sin, but he does govern this world. He's like, if God is the one that owns the deed to the world, he is the current um, property manager because Satan gave that role over to him, uh, in the, or uh, Adam gave that role over to him in the garden. So he rules the world. He entices um, the sons of the world, the daughters of the world to be as it also says, sons of disobedience. Disobedience is his thing. That's what he wants us all to be. Living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. That's basically just, um, we're, we are driven by our own desires. And it says that we are children, we were children of wrath by our nature with the rest of mankind. This is the life outside of Christ, which is really, of course, as we know, no life at all. It is death. There's an odd thing, I think, that happens um, to us as believers, and that's the longer that we've been saved and the longer that we're away from that past life. And I think it especially happens in people um, similar to me that have been raised, they've been a Christian for most of their life. They don't have a dark past that they, are, they look back. They don't see this contrasting, I was that, uh, I am now this. You, you at best see, well, I could have been this, and I never turned out, and you can see that. But without that contrast, the longer you're away from that, um, very easily we can fall into not viewing the unsaved world as slaves to sin, as ones that are driven and tossed and pushed along by this prince of the power of the world. Um, and instead, we begin to look at them more with judgment. We begin to see them more as, well, you're a victim of your own choices. I made my choices, you made yours. And as a result, you are where you are, and I am where I am. And we, we say, you know, catchy phrase, like, oh, but by the grace of God. But sometimes we mean those, and sometimes I think we're just saying them because they're, they're cute. Like, we, we really, um, we, we still treat those people as if um, they are different than us. But the interesting thing is when you look at this, and, and Paul was writing to the Ephesians here, he makes it very clear that every single one of us was a child of wrath. It's our nature. The nature we were born into was a child of wrath. And we can't, that is who we were. It's not that some of us were a child of a slightly disappointing view of God and some were of wrath. No, we were all children of wrath. The ground is leveled there. And we have to come back to that and remind ourselves of this. But to really grasp this and to understand this, we have to go a little deeper um, and even a little, little darker. Um, so if you'll bear with me here. I, I realize this message today, um, I honestly, um, I'm not very, usually I'm pretty excited to preach. I'm not very excited to preach this message. Um, and it's, and I, I'm off script here. Um, it's, it's a hard message to preach. It's hard to talk about because um, just the aspect of what we're going to look at next is really, really heavy. And, and I know we come to church and typically we want to be uplifted. We want to be um, you know, built up and we want to go out just you know, really fired up. But the funny thing about when you uh, preach through a text and you, you take what's next in line is, um, well, I've got to preach what's here. 
And uh, we're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Now, there's some really good news that comes after that. And I can't wait to get till next week. But this week, I, I really felt the Lord wanted us to pause on these first three verses. And, and I'm going to explain why. Now, I told you that in each of these three weeks, we want to be looking at Christ. We want to be looking at him, um, you know, as, and as we look next week at who we are in Christ, well, that's, we look at Christ himself. We say, if I want to know who I am in Christ, well, I look at who he is. If he's seated with the Father, I'm seated with the Father. If he has the blessing of the Father, I have that blessing. If he's a son of the Father, I'm a son of the Father. And it's exciting stuff to look at. And further, um, the, the last week, we're going to look at what we are being made to be. And in that, we look at how Christ is the head of the body. He is the cornerstone of the church. We're being built into this. And as we, the more we look at Christ, the more excited we get about that structure, about that body. But this is kind of maybe an odd twist of looking at things when we look backwards and we look at, who was I? And, and, and when we do that, and I'm, I'm telling you, we're going to look at Christ to see that. And the way that we're going to do that is by really focusing on this aspect that's in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that you all just sang. He became sin who knew no sin. He became sin for us. Now, I'm, I'm pretty sure that not a single one of us really understand what that means. I'm not sure we ever will. But Christ, the purest of any man to ever walk the earth, became the blackest, most sinful, darkest man to ever walk the earth. Let that settle in for a moment. Christ became sin. When the Father looked down and saw him on the cross, he saw sin. This really started um, settling on my heart a few weeks back. I subscribed to articles from, um, that's just like a daily digest from Desiring God, and sometimes I read them and sometimes I don't, but one of them came through. There's usually five or six articles written by different people. Um, and one was about um, this story that has kind of captivated, or uh, I don't know if captivated is the right word, but it got a lot of national attention just because it was so horrific um, of this man named Chris Watts, who um, in the past few years, he, in the, he murdered his wife, who was pregnant, and his two daughters. And he's now facing five life sentences uh, in jail. Okay, just horrific. It shocked the world because it just looked like a normal family, looked like a normal guy, beautiful family, and just to see so, so much evil uh, come through. The article came through because apparently Chris Watts in prison has found God, and he has professed faith in Christ. His inmates around him were um, encouraging him to kill himself, to take his life, because even those black evil men all saw him as the darkest in the room. And yet, he started picking up a Bible and reading it from cover to cover. And what gripped me was his statement that he said, I wish someone would have introduced me to this God before. Now, when we look at this, um, the woman that wrote into Desiring God was asking a question that many of us struggle with. 
How can he be in heaven? How can God forgive that? Really? I mean, that's just horrific. We're tempted to think in these scenarios, that isn't fair. He can't go to heaven, or at least he, he should have to pay something. I mean, is he going to like be in heaven, but like a lower class citizen, like taking out the garbage or, or like a servant to the rest of us? Are you really saying I'm going to stand around the throne shoulder to shoulder with Chris Watts, raising my hands and praising the Father? I don't know if I could do that. If you're struggling with that, you're like many people, including this 33-year-old school teacher that wrote in. And, and Desiring God, they, um, John Piper wrote some good responses to her, which I'm not going to go through all. But what it really got me thinking about was a few things. God is just. You have to believe that. Okay? He defines what justice is. So whatever sense of justice we think we have, we haven't really figured it out because he's the one that invented justice in the first place. God is just. Two, full justice is always meted out. No one gets off the hook easy. No one. Not Chris Watts, not Derek Pack. No one gets off the hook easy. Everyone. God's justice is relegated to. So when we look at this aspect of Christ becoming sin for us, becoming the blackest, becoming Chris Watts on the cross, you have to truly understand that what, whatever Chris Watts deserved was accomplished. If he deserved five life sentences, if he deserved five life sentences in hell, that was realized in Christ. And, and what, what it made me think, as, as I thought those same thoughts of, that just doesn't seem fair, was I realized I really don't get the cross. I really don't understand it. And, and it, it got me thinking more about the fact that usually when we think of the cross, we think back to this fact of, well, my sin on the cross, yeah. And we love to say things like, um, Jesus would have died uh, on the cross even if I was the only one on earth that deserved it. And even though that line isn't in the Bible, which we should be careful about saying it too much, I, I do think it's true. But think about how carelessly we say that. Christ would have suffered eternity in hell just for me? Like, you look at someone like, like a murderer like this, and many on death row have professed faith in Christ, and you've got to deal with that. It's, it's easy for us to be like, well, yeah, that deserved eternity in hell. But I, I think what's even greater is we don't really understand the, how big of a deal it was that Christ became sin and was separated from the Father. One of my kids, I don't remember if it was Elisha uh, or Silas, but they asked something along this line too um, a couple weeks ago of just, um, did Christ go to hell for us? And um, it's a good question. I don't know. Um, the Bible doesn't really, it's not explicit as to whether he went to hell for us. But what I answered them and what I, what I say here is that whatever was poured out on Christ on the cross was the equivalent of eternity in hell for each of us. So why this tangent? Why are we going so far? Why it's so dark on, on, on a Sunday morning? This is very dark. It, it really is. That's why I didn't want to preach it because it, it really makes me tremble as I think about how much I don't understand about this cross and how much Christ actually suffered. 
Paul Tripp says, anytime you minimize sin, you devalue the gospel. I have that written on a little post-it note next to my desk in my office. Anytime you minimize sin, you devalue the gospel. If we're really going to understand the depths of his grace, and in these next verses that we look at, it's all it's for, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's you know, a famous salvation. If we're really going to understand that, we have to understand what we were. And it, it's not good enough to look back and say, um, just look at your own self to see who you were before Christ. Because you probably weren't as bad as the murderer. And if you do that, you're going to be in a comparison game where you're not going to get a true picture. So you have to look at the Christ who became sin for everyone. Because that's how big of a deal it was. That's how costly the grace that we live in was. And you look back at that and you, and you get a picture of, he didn't just die for my sin. He didn't just become my sin. He become, became the sin of the murderer, of the cheat, of the adulterer, of the liar, of the thief. He became it all. And that's why it's such a big deal. We were, by nature, children of wrath, and he became for us the child of wrath. I know this is hard for many of you to hear uh, because you've walked with Christ for so many years that you love him, he's precious to you, he's dear as he should be. And, and to talk of him becoming that blackened and that tarnished hurts. But friends, he became tarnished for us. And this, this realization, this sobering thought, will help us, I think, have a, a deeper understanding of the grace that we receive because that is what we are in and what we live in and what we exalt in. It's sobering, I know, and, and I really want to go on into the next verses today, but one, I'm out of time, so you'll probably hang me up there if, if I go any too much longer. And two, I, I, I don't know, I, I think it's good for us to walk out of here and, and, and sit on this and think about it for a week. I would encourage you to do that because the next verses that we're going to read are the greatest verses in the whole Bible. Verse four, but God, right? That, that's where it turns. So, so don't walk out of here depressed and discouraged and hanging your head Walk out with a, a sobriety and, and a soberness as you think about, wow, Christ became sin. But also, I want you this week, just every day, if you can, read verses 4 through 10. And, and, and start with that, that picture of what Christ became for you and what, what it was of what we once were. Because next week, when you come in here, we're going to come and we're going to celebrate who we now are in Christ because of his grace. All throughout this book, there's a lot of talking about walking, walking worthy of our calling. It's all over in Colossians 2. And uh, I think Paul was very big on that aspect of walk worthy in a manner of the calling which you've been called. If we're going to walk worthy of him, we really need to understand what that looks like. And I think it starts with this backwards view of looking back to who we were before Christ. This, I, I really do believe, is, is a, a picture, and it's a piece of that um, having the glasses uh, on that help us see things more clearly. 
just a few lines that we sang this morning. My sin too great for deeds to pay. Sin as black as could be. We turn from God to sin's disgrace. We chose the path to hell. Dawn of the darkest day. The awesome weight of sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed. He bore the wrath. He took the blame. But what a love and what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. God, thank you. Thank you. I think he doesn't seem to even capture it. But for the power of the cross. I pray our hearts would just be captured anew, that we would um, walk out of here just with a wonder of the cross. I thank you, God, for, for doing something, knowing that we wouldn't even really be able to comprehend what happened on that cross. You did it anyways. And while we were still sinners, you died for us. So we thank you, God, and though um, it's sobering a thought, Lord, it puts a smile on our face as we rejoice in you. So just guide us and grow us um, this week as we uh, study in your word and as we uh, walk with you. I pray that you would just guide us and lead us and move our hearts to follow you in everything. In your name we pray. Amen.